We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. We are uh, studying in Acts chapter 4. I'm actually going to be uh, talking a little bit more about Acts generally tonight and some of the um, messages that we see Peter and John preaching there. So if you turn your Bible to Acts chapter 4, please, you'll recall that uh, there's been chapter 3, the healing of a man who was unable to... to, uh, mobilize himself. In other words, they weren't able to walk. A very difficult situation. And that was in chapter 3. Peter preaches and uh, preaches the gospel to the people, even those who knew of Jesus and had been involved in denying him. Uh, And so then the uh, priests and the Sadducees were uh, disturbed that they were teaching the people, and so they threw them into the lockup in early uh, part of chapter 4. And so then they brought them out and confronted them. We looked at a lot of this, I think, last time, uh, and we saw the response of uh, Peter and John and uh, and the other disciples. So after the preaching, um, they defended themselves. He rehashed his message again. This is actually strange because... They brought them, the, the authorities brought Peter and John in. Well, this just gave them another opportunity to preach the gospel. And this before the leaders and to show them their uh, foolishness. So he uh, aggressively, Peter speak, speaking here, aggressively confronts the questioners uh, there, uh, the accusers, by saying that Jesus was the stone rejected by the builders. Uh, he explains the power in the name of Christ that gave uh, them the ability to have this man uh, healed. And so uh, they were shocked at the uh, words here and the demeanor, really, of John and, and Peter, knowing that they had not gone to school with them, but they were very uh, well schooled in the Old Testament, as we call it, the Hebrew Bible. The gospel continued to spread there amongst the people, there could, the leaders could do nothing about it um, because it was clear that the man was unable to walk and now he was able to walk and they couldn't assign it to some kind of uh, chicanery. Uh, there was no medical technology that would allow that sort of thing at that time. So it was very clear that there was a miracle that had happened and this authenticated the ministry and uh, messengers of God. The Christians responded in verses 31 through, uh, or 23 through 31 rather, and uh, they prayed. They recognized that this opposition was part of the ongoing opposition of the raging nations against God and against His Christ. Uh, that's just an ongoing thing down even to this very day. And uh, they gathered together against the Messiah 
Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, everybody, and hung him on a tree uh, according to God's foreordained plan. And so they prayed, they asked God for boldness, and God answered them in accordance with their prayer. Now in the rest of the chapter in verses uh, 32 through 37, it says that they uh, continued meeting each other's needs. This was mentioned in chapter 2, 44 through 45. And so it's, it's connected uh, back to that. And then also forward, because in chapter 5, the benevolent work of the church continues, although there was a little bit of a hiccup in that work. We're going to look at that, Lord willing, the next time that we study uh, together. But I want to focus on a bigger picture item just now and then some application from what we've seen in the book of Acts up until this point. Bigger picture, after the persecution, the disciples came together and they prayed, as I said, but what did they do in, in, in kind of the uh, high-level look at what they were doing? Well, they continued doing what they already were doing. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't seem like rocket science, Pastor. Well, it's not, but it is in this sense. If you are subject to persecution and you have all kinds of problems, what can happen to your focus? You can go off to the side. And this happens to us all the time. You know, big election is coming or some catastrophe happens or something and and we're sidetracked, and we begin to think just about that, and we're consumed with it. For the people here, they give us a great example. They, they just continue what they had already been doing, like-minded worship, ministering to one another. And so there's an important sense in which, although we are aware of what's going on out in the world, we're not moved by it. Like we kind of, we kind of, we don't fully, but we kind of ignore it and carry on doing what God has called us to do. Yes, you lose your job, you carry on being a a light for the gospel in your workplace. That's it. Yes. You have some catastrophe that happens out there, you don't change your whole program. If you've been doing what God wants you to do all along, you just keep doing it. Just keep on keeping on. The news can be full of mayhem, the world full of hatred, the authorities full of venom, and we just keep on ministering to one another and toward those that are outside of the church. Okay, So let us steel ourselves, resolve ourselves, that we're going to be a little bit more disciplined in our minds and in our approach to ministry, we just keep on keeping on uh, in that sense. A a classic example in my own experience of this was uh, with, in fact, we don't need this little mic here, um, was on September 11, 2001. I was in my first semester at seminary, and uh, we heard the news about the tragedy that happened in New York, and uh, we didn't know the full extent of it at that time, but that was in our first break, think in the Gospels class with Dr. Compton, and Dr. Compton, being the wise teacher that he was, said, okay, guys, back in the classroom, we're going to carry on 
with what we have to do. And uh, what, what's, going on, what's going on out there cannot be let to stop us from preparing for ministry in here. Um, what's happening in the news? You know, you might think, like, I'd like to fix this stuff that's happening. If I were president for a day, you know, I'd get this all straightened out. If you, you, you think about, you know, if we could just get involved in the politics of it and we could solve all of these things. You cannot, okay? I don't want to be such a, def- a defeatist at all, but say I'm going to say this. Forget about it. You need to preach the gospel, you need to live as a Christian ought to live. You know, worry about social action and about political action and all of that. Look, they're going to do to Trump what they're going to do to Trump. There's not a thing you can do about it. But there is a thing you can do about living for Christ. Biden is going to be Biden. He's going to be absent-minded professor up there being told what to say and what to do and all that, and there's nothing you can do about it. Frustrated as you might be, as, as bad as it might be, as bad as it is, <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. Pray, of course. You pray for your leaders. That's one of those things that we just keep on doing that we're consistent at. But if you lose focus, you're not gonna, this is just what the devil wants us to do. If we can just get us off kilter, get us off to the side, then we won't be carrying out the Great Commission. We won't be... Uh, carrying out the great commandment to love our God as with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. We get all kind of twisted around in that thing and get kind of infused by the spirit of the age. Carry on with the work that we're doing. Okay. Now, as far as more application here from the text, backing up a little bit, remember the miracle of healing, first part of chapter 3. The crowd was filled with wonder and amazement. At what had happened. This is in uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 11. They gathered together in Solomon's porch and they were greatly amazed. It's easy for us to read the account, and even if we're not in a mindset to dismiss it, because, oh, it's just a myth or a legend. Even if we're in the mindset to believe what it says, we can treat it as if it's not a big deal. My friends, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. It's, we should marvel and be amazed as well, just like in these chapters or in these verses here. It's such an unusual event. The text indicates that these people were beside themselves. They didn't know what to do. Luke chapter 4 and verse 36 says something similar. Uh, in, in regard to the work of Jesus casting out an unclean spirit, then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is, for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. In Luke chapter 5, verse 9, uh, in the uh, portion of uh, where he calls the disciples, and they have this huge catch, and Peter falls down and says, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Um, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. When have you last been astonished at the work of God? Or is it just like, hmm, oh well, <laughs> nothing's happened lately or um, no answered prayers or anything like that. 
No, if, if you saw something like this, you ought to be moved. If God were to answer one of our long-running prayers for a salvation of a soul or for the healing of somebody who is sick and afflicted for a long period of time, we ought to be amazed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But see, we, we're in a so scientific of an age now, we just don't think that God can do that stuff. You know, regeneration, that's nothing. Healing, that doesn't happen. And, you know, often God chooses not to heal people. He chooses to take them home to heaven and heal them that way. But let's, at least when we read this in Acts, let's be uh, a little moved, if you would, please. Um, also, we should think about Peter in his example when he says to the man, you know, because he was the guy was looking at them wanting what? Wanting just exactly what the men and women are along Washtenaw and Carpenter who are standing there at the intersections waiting for a handout. Every time the same poor people there, I don't know how poor they are, but, uh, you know, maybe they're put up to that job. That's what bothers me when you see people you think are being trafficked or whatever, but... Um, you know, he, he wanted the money, and what did Peter say? Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. And so he causes, uh, he works this miracle and causes this man through the name of Christ to, to rise up and walk. Now, authenticating function of such a miracle was necessary in that day and provided a crowd for him to preach to, but it's not necessary today since we have the Bible with its self-authenticating message. And uh, we will have this kind of thing happen again when the Lord returns, of course. Uh, Isaiah 35 indicates that. But we have something far more valuable than physical healing. Silver and gold have I none, and I also don't have the ability to heal you so you can walk, but I do have the gospel, which is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of that gospel. That gospel is a power that can raise people from the spiritually dead to become spiritually alive. That's what you have. You, you might not have the solution to that person's problems. People today have problems that seem intractable, unsoluble, no, no solutions, no easy solutions to these problems. The, the, the trouble that people get themselves into, the way they mess up their body and their brain with drugs, and the choices that they make, and the family structures that they weave together somehow that are not too like linear, you know, mom and dad and kids and grandkids and all that sort of stuff like it should be, and uh, half-siblings and all of that. Look, those, there's nothing wrong with those kids. Don't, don't hear me saying that. There's something wrong with how their parents conducted themselves, <laughs> clearly, according to Scripture. But what I'm saying is we get ourselves into all these problems. You as a Christian may not be able to help person X solve all of those problems, but you can give them the gospel. You might not have enough money to buy them out of the debt that they got themselves into or, you know, uh, whatever, or, or fix their health problem. They may still be with that forever and ever, but you can give them the gospel. So we do not focus on you know, what we have monetarily or materially, but rather on the message that we have. Another thought on Peter's message. Uh, he, uh, 
says in verse uh, 12, Peter, when he saw everybody gathering, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man to walk? There's probably nothing more embarrassing to Peter than people look at him and say, wow, you're, you're, you're amazing. What Peter's trying to say is, no, I'm not amazing. I'm just a servant of somebody who is amazing. Jesus, he's the one who did this. And, you know, so people who do the same thing today, you know, uh, oh, you're doing such a good job, or uh, what, a, what, a, what a ministry and that sort of thing. We've got to deflect. We have to deflect to God. Um, it's a mark of a good man if he can deflect credit to others and especially to the Lord. Peter also, in his preaching, contrasts God's treatment of Jesus with the people's. What did God do with Jesus after all was said and done? He exalted him and gave him a name. But what did the people do? They didn't exalt him. They denied him. They didn't exalt him. They delivered him up to Pilate. They didn't exalt him. They killed him. They didn't exalt him. They had him to be buried. That's the contrast. Well, we can have compassion toward those who are unbelievers like these because they're ignorant, culpably ignorant. If they had known these rulers of the people, uh, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but they did because they were ignorant, culpably ignorant, but still ignorant. Um, also, if you look at Acts 3.23, this drives home a point that I didn't, I haven't mentioned yet, I don't think, in this series. Acts 3.23, as far as kind of touching on some application points here. It says, And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Deuteronomy chapter 18 is a source of this. And I'm going to turn back there to Deuteronomy. Chapter 18, verse 19. Well, actually, chapter 18, 15. Remember, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses says, in your midst, and from among your brethren, rather, him you shall hear, according to all that you desired, and so on. I will raise up a pro- for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Uh, whoops. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Now, that should sound uh, like an ominous set of words with a little echo behind it, you know, some, some, some scary sound effects. I will require it of him. What does that mean? Well, if, if a person doesn't listen to what God says, I will require it of him, meaning you are in big trouble. The God with whom we have to do is a consuming fire, friends. 
It shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. That is exactly true, what our sister was just indicating. I will require it, is I will utterly destroy them from among the people. Okay, You don't hear God. You don't listen to Him. You ignore Him. That's the kind of thing that you're looking for. The Scripture tells us if you don't believe in Christ, you're under the wrath of God already. I have no idea why you want to exist in that state. It's a dangerous place. If you're cut off, which can happen at any time, then you're under that wrath for good. Scary. We have a serious accountability to really listen to what Jesus teaches us. That's why we carry what he says to others. We who are his people carry it to others because we know that they need to hear it as well and we need to be obedient to it. Um, I'm thinking of uh, the warning passages in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Therefore we we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels, this is at the mount uh, in the giving of the law, if that proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles. This is what we're reading about in Acts. These various signs, wonders, miracles, uh, gifts of the Spirit. He, He spoke to them that way. They can't ignore it. It's too strong to ignore. good side of it is that Peter proclaims in Acts chapter 3 that uh, the Abrahamic blessing on the families of the earth has to do with turning everyone away from his iniquities. That's verse 26. And we said last time what a great blessing it is to be turned away from sin. Actually, the last two times I've mentioned that. I just give that to you and just tell you if you don't know the blessing of that, it's a fact. It is a real fact that it's a blessing to be turned away from sin. In the midst of all this, in Acts 2 and Acts 3 and Acts 4 and Peter's preaching, the the sermons that he gives here talk about sin and forgiveness and repentance, but they focus even more on the identity and activity of the Lord Jesus. So here are some examples of that assertion, that there's a great deal of focus on the Lord Jesus In Acts chapter 2, Jesus is attested by God through miraculous signs, also in his ascension to heaven. Acts chapter 2, 23, Jesus was delivered up and crucified. Acts 2, 24, Jesus was raised from the dead. Acts 2, 34 and 35, Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God the Father. Acts 2, 36, Jesus was made Lord and Messiah by our God and Father. Jesus also is glorified by God after being delivered and denied by the people. That's in Acts chapter 3 and verse number 13. Jesus is called the Prince of Life. He was killed and raised again, Acts chapter 3, 15. The next verse, Jesus is the name by which miraculous healings in the book of Acts were performed. That's what Peter's arguing in chapter 4, verse number 10. Jesus in 3.18 is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. 
Jesus is coming again to restore all things, chapter 3, 20 and 21. Chapter 4, verse 2, the message of the resurrection from the dead for all people is found in Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Jesus is the only one by whom someone can be saved from sin. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 27, Jesus was the focal point of the opposition by Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, and the Jews. Everybody hated him. He was that, you know, that take the magnifying glass outside in, in the sunshine and shine it through there and that little point on the ground where all the heat is going, that was where he was. All the, the focal point of all opposition from the devil magnified down onto him. And then, besides this Christocentric focus, there are some other characteristics of early acts, preaching which include prophecy regarding the Holy Spirit and Christ, followed by a call to repent. Chapter 3, the source of miraculous power to heal, the sinful murder of Christ, followed by another call to repent. Chapter 3, that faith in Christ provided astounding power to make a man well of his disease. Christ suffered in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, and he's the ultimate prophet raised up from Israel, and he must be heard. In fact, we saw, I think we mentioned this maybe last time, on the Mount of Transfiguration, that voice came out of the glory, the most excellent glory, and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Listen to him, guys. It's time to move on from Moses. Time to move on from Elijah. You're now listening to him, the revelation of God in the flesh. Chapter 4 highlights the need to obey God rather than men who command against preaching in the name of Christ. They want to do that to us today. Oh, they, they want to let us just have our little preaching in these four walls, but when it gets too far out you know, from our own property, they want to shut it down and censor the speech and not let us talk even on the public sidewalks and you know, put us into little free speech zones on campuses. Free speech zones. The United States of America is a free speech zone. Yes, right. So they don't want us to say the truth, but we shall keep on saying it. I believe we should go about sharing the good news about Jesus without fear of what the authorities or society are going to do in response. And like the disciples or the apostles, if we're called onto the carpet, guess what we do? We just do what they did. We report the same message again and share the gospel with those folks in, in our own uh, defense, as it were. Uh, and really, like the Apostle Paul, he was, he was in chains for the defense and confirmation, not of himself, but of the gospel. And that's our business as well. So pray we won't have to face, you know, being hauled up in front of a judge for our faith. But if we do, why, we'll carry on uh, doing just what God's always called us to do for 2,000 years. No surprises. Uh, yeah, it's not innovative. It's just the same thing. <laughs> but God demands faithfulness, not innovation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to look at your, your word tonight. 
Thank you for the technology that allows us to broadcast this in a wider way. Thank you for each one here tonight to pray. Thank you for the, uh, in the hour before this meeting, uh, having prayer and before that having a meal together. May our fellowship be an encouragement again to one another. Watch over us. May Christ be honored in our lives. Lord, if there's someone, there is someone. <laughs> there is someone in our lives, in mine, in my families, and each person here who they know doesn't know Jesus. And I pray that you would help them to give that everlasting hope to that person, friend, family member, coworker, acquaintance at the store, whatever, so that they will have the opportunity to believe in him who died for them and rose again. In Jesus' name, amen.